I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The International Fiber Dysplasia Ossificans Progressive Association focuses on a rare genetic disorder, but it has had great success in stimulating research, engaging with industry, and helping advance needed therapies. We spoke to Betsy Bogard, Global Research Development Director for the IFOPA, about FOP, how her organization has helped drive work toward new treatments, and what it's learned about how to best work with industry partners. Betsy, thanks for joining us. Yes, glad to be here. We're going to discuss a, a rare and debilitating disease known as fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva, or FOP, and how your organization has been successful at building relationships with industry to develop treatments. Perhaps you can begin with the disease itself. What is FOP? How many people does it affect? How does it manifest itself and progress? And, and what treatment options are available today? Sure. FOP is an extremely rare and severely disabling genetic condition. It is caused by a mutation uh, in a gene known as ACBR1. It's part of the uh, TGF-beta pathway. And the mutation causes um, progressive heterotopic ossification in individuals who are affected by it. And that means that they grow extra bone in places where it shouldn't be, in this case, in their muscles and tendons and ligaments. And, and what, is, bone, what is the effect of that? Yeah, so as this bone forms, it will lock joints in place and gradually restrict mobility. Um, individuals are born um, looking normal, except that they have malformed great toes. By the time they are about 10 years old, they typically have um, heterotopic ossification in their their neck and shoulders and back, starting to lock their shoulders and, and spine in place. And then in their teens, the disease is progressing downward and starting to affect their elbows and hips. And then by the time they're in their 20s, individuals are typically um, having their legs, uh, hips, knees, and ankles starting to lock up um, such that they are... Uh, typically wheelchair-bound by the time that they're in their 20s. And, and how rare a disease is this? We estimate the prevalence is between 1 in 1 million and 1 in 2 million. And we know of about 800 individuals living with the disease worldwide. And, and are there treatment options today? There are not yet. Um, right now, there are some palliative measures that can be taken, particularly when individuals are experiencing episodic flare-ups of the disease, which are painful swellings that can precede heterotopic ossification. Um, and, but we are very encouraged by a number of uh, meaningful therapies that are in development. Well, there, there are, as you say, encouraging clinical research activity going around, on around FOP. I know your organization is involved in supporting a program at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. What role has this had in driving research that's been of interest to industry? It's had an enormous role. So IFOPA has funded basic research since its inception, so dating back 27 years. 
um, and primarily at the University of Pennsylvania. And this has been a very productive collaboration that um, resulted in a discovery of the gene that causes the disease in 2006. And that brought um, a large number of additional researchers into the field, both at the academic level and at the, uh, in, amongst pharmaceutical companies. Last year, you launched the FOP Connection Registry Portal. What is that and what are you hoping to accomplish with that? That's a great question. We're really excited about our registry. Um, it is right now a registry for FOP patients to go online and share their experience with the disease in the form of registry data collection uh, process. There are questions that we ask them about their the state of their disease and how it has impacted them. And um, we are going to add a, a portal to the registry that will eventually allow clinicians to also contribute data on the patients under their care to this registry, such that we want the registry to be one single registry for our disease to support all stakeholder, stakeholders in our community, patients, uh, researchers, and pharmaceutical companies. I imagine this effort does have value to potential corporate partners. What role does, does this play in attracting or, or working with industry? Well, um, we think of the registry as um, a meaningful contribution to the whole community, including to the research and drug development efforts at pharmaceutical companies. The registry can provide valuable insights on how patients experience their disease, and those are really important insights for pharmaceutical companies. So this, this database and system is a way not only for us to support patients with the disease um, and help them be empowered and, and understand the disease better themselves, but it's also meaningful insights for drug developers, and that can really shift the conversation between a patient organization and a pharmaceutical company when you have that kind of conversation and when a, when a patient organization can contribute that kind of meaningful, systematically collected information. IFOPA is currently supporting two clinical trials. What does it mean to say that IFOPA supports a clinical trial? That's also a great question. And we just put out a message from our own community to our own community to clarify what IFOPA support means. Um, to us, this means that we are simply sharing information with our community members about that trial so that they can make informed decisions about participation. And under what circumstances would you support a clinical trial? So we, for us, it's really about just making sure that a clinical trial is being conducted um, in an ethical manner according to international standards for the conduct of clinical trials so that it has the right approvals of government authorities um, as well as ethics committees. And that we understand something about the drug that's being tested by that drug developer we understand something about the research protocol under which it is being tested. And when we have all of that information, we feel at that point we want to share that information with the patient community, again, so that they can make informed decisions. We don't feel it's our role to influence whether or not a person does or does not want to participate in a clinical trial. That is an incredibly personal and important decision that we believe patients and families should be making um, themselves in consultation with their doctor. We see it as our role to provide information. Let's talk about these trials. The, the first is a mid-stage trial from Clementia Pharmaceuticals for an experimental therapy known as Palverotine. This is a drug uh, the company licensed from Roche. What does it do? 
So palivaritine is called an RIR gamma agonist, and it is believed to interrupt the um, SMAD signaling inside the cell. Um, that That is a big part of the process of having cells um, decide to turn into bone. Um, so it's really inhibiting this process of chondrogenesis once it has started. The second experimental drug is in early-stage trials from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. That follows the discovery of scientists that the company made about how FOP actually works. What is this drug, and what does it do? Yes, so so Regeneron made this important discovery last year that um, Active A has a meaningful role in the disease. Um, What they figured out and what other researchers have also found is that the mutation in FOP renders the the relevant receptor responsive to active A. Um, normally, active A would be an inhibitor of that receptor, and in the case of FOP, it becomes a stimulant. So it, it turned out that Regeneron had an antibody that they were developing for a different indication um, available, and it was um, had already undergone a lot of IND-enabling research. Um, so this uh, antibody binds to active A, um, thereby blocking it from um, stimulating the receptor. Novartis Institutes of Biomedical Research is also doing work on biomarkers to evaluate whether certain changes in urine may be indicative of a an FOP flare-up. What's the importance of that research? Well, we understanding biomarkers is a really important part of the drug development process, and it can be particularly um, it can be particularly challenging in rare diseases to find relevant biomarkers. So um, we would love for that research to help pinpoint a biomarker that um, is correlated with these episodic disease flare-ups or in some way um, either indicative or predictive that bone is going to form in individuals with FOP. So that, that would be a great outcome of that research if it's possible to understand that from, from the study that was conducted. How important in this disease is early diagnosis, and and are there tools for doing that? Well, FOP is so interesting because it has this telltale sign at birth of malformed great toes. And so, um, unfortunately, right now, that symptom is typically missed by by physicians um, who think that it's just something, um, you know, not in need of medical attention, maybe a bunion. And it's not until individuals start having these episodic flare-ups, the swelling on their on their head or in their back, that they come to medical attention. And it, unfortunately, it can often take a number of doctor visits, um, going through a number of different specialties before anyone connects that flare-up and the toes to figure out that this disease is FOP. Right now, earlier diagnosis would help families take some preventative measures. Um, to avoid uh, bumps and falls and other um, uh, inflammatory events like uh, vaccination that can trigger the disease. Um, it also might prevent um, unfortunate surgeries, which cause explosive progression of the disease, even though they're, they're done to, tr- to try and be helpful. So I think that early diagnosis right now would, would, would help patients stay safer um, and avoid rapid progression earlier. Um, and of course, we hope that once there is a treatment available, earlier diagnosis will become more common 
and will also be a way to truly prevent the disease from developing. And is a formal diagnosis ultimately made with a genetic test? Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's not, um, it, it can often be clinically diagnosed, but there is a genetic test available um, that is done whenever possible. What have you learned from working with these companies? How can a, a disease group like yours best engage with them? It's a great question, and and it's a very complex and important relationship. So we at IFOPA have given a lot of thought to how we can be a good partner to pharmaceutical companies and um, to think about what is important to us um, from them. And underlying all of it and all of the specifics that we have identified is a, is a need for us as a patient organization to remain independent um, while still enabling the pharmaceutical companies. So. Um, we look for all the ways that on a day-to-day -day basis that we can be contributing to the development of therapies, bringing the patient voice to the table, um, understanding what pharmaceutical companies need um, while, still, while still staying independent. And what's your sense in working with these companies? What are they hoping to gain by working with a group like yours? Is it just access to patients or is there something more they're seeking? Well, you know, the rarer that a disease is, the more vital that partnership with the patient community becomes. Um, and so they, they, I think, can gain and do gain meaningful insights into what is really important to patients, what really bothers them, um, what they think about when they consider clinical trial participation. Um, and so I, I think, to me, what they gain helps them all along the way from the from the very beginning um, of drug development before you're in clinical trials um, in terms of helping to inform the design of clinical trials and then helping them understand what, what may or may not work in terms of recruiting for trials and even later helping them understand um, how the company can best meet the needs of the patient community once the drug is available and also help that company reach all the patients that are out there um, because, of course, everyone wants all patients to receive treatment and a patient group has an important role to play um, in helping to connect patients and be a be an avenue for communication. Uh, how do you think a, a group like yours can best leverage these relationships? Well, um, I think that it's important for a patient group um, that wants to have a meaningful role in the drug development process to be able to contribute in a meaningful way to it. So our registry is a great example of that. Um, um, and also having a meaningful network that truly is connecting the patients with each other and helping the community speak with a united voice um, is, is a way to really best, um, to best be in that space and make a difference. Um, yeah. And are you finding there's an opportunity to have input into research, shape clinical trials, and provide patient input so that they move towards things that matter to patients? Yes, yes, I do. I think that having that, having establishing a good relationship for a pharmaceutical company to establish a good relationship with the patient group early on does provide the opportunity for meaningful dialogue that has already, in our experience, shaped aspects of clinical trial design. What would you say the key to making that relationship mutually beneficial is? Um, so I think it has to be uh, respectful on both sides. Um, there needs to be transparency 
think there needs to be clarity on both sides about um, what does and doesn't work for each party um, and about how how everybody wants to interact. How do you want to exchange funds? How do you want to provide input? How do you want dialogue to flow? Um, and I think like any relationship, it's important that the relationship um, be built all along the way, not just when somebody needs something, but that the relationship is there so that the lines of communication are open and there's always an opportunity to have dialogue, even if it's informal, um, and just understand where the other party party is at and, um, and what's happening with them. Betsy Bogard, Global Research Development Director for the International Fibrodysplasia Ossificans Progressive Association. Betsy, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.